0: and Matt Robison here with Beyond Politics. Since the Inflation Reduction Act passed, the issue of greater tax enforcement by hiring more IRS agents and going after wealthier Americans and corporations who may be getting away with tax evasion has become a total political football. That's no surprise. The attack from Republicans has been that Eventually, the IRS is going to go after you, middle-class American, or you, working-class American. The response from Democrats has been, absolutely not. That's not what this is about. This is about making people pay what they actually owe, and that is almost exclusively going to be corporations and the wealthiest individuals. So who's right? We actually did a show on this exact issue with a top expert on the IRS and tax enforcement a few months ago as part of the Great Ideas program, and we wanted to put it out now because Seth Hanlon does a really fantastic job in this show of running through what's real, what's myth, and what we can really expect to come out of the Inflation Reduction Act. Welcome to Great Ideas, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and as listeners to the Beyond Politics podcast know, we have a voluntary tax compliance system in America, and it turns out that there are a lot of folks who cut corners or outright cheat the system when it comes to paying their taxes. And this is a big problem. America loses $600 billion a year in unpaid taxes that are owed under the law. $163 billion of those dollars come from the very richest 1% of us. That segment from just those richest Americans is more than we spend on housing, homeland security, and the Department of Justice combined. And the total that we're losing from all that tax cheating is almost as much as we pay for defense. But of course, the solution is not something that most Americans like to think about or find particularly appealing. 52% of Americans have an unfavorable view of the IRS, and let's face it, no one enjoys the process of paying their taxes or likes to think about ways to give the IRS more teeth. But that's exactly the direction that Democrats have been trying to suggest going in the Build Back Better bill. As we record this, it's not totally clear that the idea of increasing tax enforcement is what's going to make it into that final bill. But the mere suggestion has opened up a conversation about why this issue needs more attention and what we can do about it. So today on Great Ideas, let's talk about tax enforcement, ideas for how to make it better and more effective, and how we can dispel some of the myths and reinforce some of the realities of making sure that Americans pay their fair share of taxes. Our guest today, Seth Hanlon, is a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. Seth's testified many times before Congress, and his work has been cited in the Financial Times, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, many other publications. He's been featured on CNBC, NPR, C-SPAN, and other outlets, including Great Ideas to discuss tax issues and he's written an in-depth memo kind of explaining some of the ins and outs of greater tax enforcement. Seth, welcome to Great Idea. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you and you know, I might as well have pitched this show as let's talk about going to the dentist. Everyone likes to have a cavity <laughs> filled and by the same token, everyone loves to talk about taxes. They love to talk about tax enforcement. I, I I'm generally sorry because you're an expert in something that people find you know just downright displeasurable but to me it seems super duper important why does the issue of tax enforcement deserve our attention it's not sexy or fun but it seems to really really matter yeah
1: it sure does and and I think there's there's several reasons for it I mean I think you mentioned the most obvious one that we the government's losing 600. 600- billion, dollars, I mean, I think at least every year, and that translates to $7 trillion over a decade, over the next decade, according to Treasury Secretary Yellen. So, you know, this, this massive drain of revenue just means that either other people have to pay higher taxes, we can invest less, or we're going to have higher deficits. And I think that, you know, the more, more core reason is just one of fairness. I mean, there, are, you know, when some people, are paying their fair share, and and most workers, most average people, really have no choice because taxes are taken directly out of their paycheck. I mean, there's there's no way of evading taxes, even if. Whereas other other people and uh, disproportionately high income people have ways of illegally evading taxes and also aggressively avoiding it through legal gray areas, which I think is linked to linked to enforcement, but a, a, a distinct issue. And then then I think. Um, Tax evasion is also sometimes linked to other crimes, you know, and corruption. And finally, I think, I think, and this is, you know, a little counterintuitive, but but tax enforcement and better tax enforcement and a modernized IRS means better service for taxpayers, because it, it's really about tax compliance. And a lot of people are trying to comply. But for example, when they call the IRS, they can't get anyone on the phone. And so a lot of people make errors. So a lot of the tax gap is just people making the innocent errors. And if we have more better taxpayer service that doesn't cost an arm and a leg, but you can actually just call the IRS, we'll, we'll have better, better compliance and better taxpayer service.
0: You know, when you put it that way, it actually sounds downright attractive. Not quite to the level of sexy yet, but it sounds like an awfully good idea. Other people pay more of their taxes, less headaches for you when you go to pay your taxes because you can get some help from a real human being. And People who are cheating, especially people who are breaking the law in other ways, will will get to go after those people. And look, it could make you actually have to pay less in taxes. That sounds like a pretty sweet deal. That said, let's just quickly cover an area that you, you touched on a moment ago, which is tax avoidance versus tax evasion. Sometimes those terms are kind of thrown around in a slippery way and they can get confusing for people. Could you just lay out the difference? between them, Mm -hmm. and maybe where tax avoidance begins to slide into tax evasion.
1: Exactly, exactly. So I think, I mean, sometimes people draw a bright line between tax avoidance and tax evasion, and I think there's a massive gray area in between, but tax evasion is a crime. So that's like breaking the law willfully criminal behavior to, to evade taxes, avoidance. So, so some avoidance is like the most innocent avoidance is, is definitely perfectly legal. And it's also even encouraged, right? I mean, like putting money in a 401k minimizes your taxes. And that's what Congress has intended for you to do. Now, there are more, more sophisticated ways to avoid taxes, but that are perfectly 100% 100% legal, and then I think in between is just the gray areas where there's lots of you know, for example, where an estate has to value an asset, or a corporation has to you know put a value on a tran you know a transaction of intellectual property and how much the intellectual property is worth is is you know. It- depends on how much they're going to pay. And, you know, they take an aggressive position and say this intellectual property is really not worth anything, you know, and that's where I think it's, is in the gray area. No one goes to jail in those situations. It's not tax evasion, but I like to call it aggressive tax avoidance because it sort of falls in, in, the, in the gray area in between.
0: Well, and of course, just to be crystal clear, what we're mostly talking about here is not avoidance, it's evasion. And evasion is a big deal. That's why Mm -hmm. Al Capone went to prison. And then there are these kind of edge cases. And the one that's been in the news most recently is, for example, how former President Trump valued some of his properties. And he would say for certain purposes, like when he was trying to pump them up and sell them, oh, it's worth a ton of money. And then when it was tax time, I was like, this is worth a few cents maybe. And that kind of thing really does kind of push the envelope and gets into actual evasion. So we're focused for the purposes of this conversation on evasion. Although I just wanted to note that aggressive tax avoidance usually involves having lawyers, having tax counselors, having CPAs, having the kinds of expensive services that most Americans can't afford. And once again, it does bring up this basic fairness issue, but that's a conversation for another time. So when we think getting getting around the tax system, cheating essentially on taxes, has the problem been getting worse?
1: I, I think it has. There's many reasons to believe it has has been getting worse. I mean, one issue is that obviously we don't know, you know, almost by definition, we don't know what... You know how much taxes are being avoided. And the IRS's research lags. So their most recent study covers the years 2011 to 2013. But there's lots of reasons to think that it's getting worse. The clearest reason is that the IRS itself has been really decimated as an agency. Since those years, the IRS's enforcement personnel, so the people that are auditing people and, and companies, have been reduced about you know, 35 or 40%. And then there's also, and the IRS commissioner mentioned this in Congress, the large world of um, cryptocurrency that is just didn't exist several years ago is a potentially huge avenue for, for tax evasion. So that's why the commissioner said, I mean, so the if you sort of extrapolate the official estimates, the, that's how you get the $600 billion a year revenue loss. But the commissioner said he thinks it could be as much as a trillion uh, a year
0: wow. at this point. Wow. Well, and just to build on that point, recent guest on Beyond Politics House Budget Chairman John Yarmuth, who we had a great conversation with. I urge people to check it out. It's in the Beyond Politics podcast feed. He issued a report just two years ago out of the Budget Committee in which he said the Internal Revenue Service has faced harsh budget cuts over the last decade, hindering its ability to serve the American people in fundamental ways. Not only have funding cuts led to deteriorating customer service to law-abiding taxpayers, your earlier point. They've also weakened the IRS's ability to ensure that corporations and wealthy individuals pay their fair share of the revenues. And they put a number on it. They say that in a three-year period, the IRS just failed to audit more than 897,000 wealthy individuals who skipped out on filing tax returns over a three-year period. These individuals owed nearly $46 billion in taxes on their own. So it, it seems like there is really a, a direct straight line connection between budget cuts, which lead to everyone finds the IRS to be even more of a headache. Regular Americans get even less help on paying the taxes that they're trying their darndest to pay. And it allows wealthy people to just not file returns, just skip out on paying their taxes.
1: Yeah, that was one of the more shocking inspector general reports. I mean, you you almost can't believe it, that there's hundreds Hundreds of thousands of high-income people that just simply do not file tax returns, and the IRS does not follow up. It's it's like totally unbelievable, and just shows like you know sometimes you don't have to overthink issues. They just need more people to do those audits. And then I think the other trend that we're seeing with these budget cuts that I think is you know has been really troubling from an equity point of view is that as the budget has been cut of the IRS, and they lose the sort of you know. The, the veteran experienced examiners who, who are able to audit like a large corporation or a very wealthy estate that has lots of trusts and everything, they focused increasingly on the audits of, that are cheap for the IRS to do, which is of low income people who claim tax credits, like the earned income tax. And so the so the share of audits, I mean, because basically when the IRS audits somebody who claims the EITC, they just sort of send a letter and say if you don't respond within 30 days, we're going to disallow the credit. And so a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, there is definitely some fraud, but a lot of people just simply have no means of responding within 30 days or just completely confused. And so a lot of valid claims get, get denied, but that, so the EITC recipients, so these are low wage workers have made up about 40% of the people that are audited. Even though they're only about 16% of taxpayers overall, and the EITC itself just accounts for about six percent of the revenue loss from you know from the tax gap. So there's, there's just been a, a disproportionate focus on on EITC recipients, and this, as many people have pointed out, has significant racial. Uh, Equity implications because the EITC is claimed disproportionately by Black and Hispanic workers, and so people have done analyses showing that the most heavily audited places in the country are actually low-income rural African American communities.
0: There's so much kind of rich information in that that I, I just I just want to stay on this for a second because. For people who aren't familiar with the earned income tax credit, it's one of the most successful tax policies in America. It's one of the most successful social programs in America. It's a way to encourage people to work and to not face a disincentive to work if they're low income. They continue to get tax credits, even refundable tax credits even if they're low income. So what you're doing is you're giving people an incentive to better their own economic situation, to, work, to seek work, to seek better paid work, and you're also giving them a benefit. And what you're, what you're saying here is that just to kind of connect the dots, attempts to cut back on the IRS, to cut back on budgets and enforcement and auditing means that the IRS doesn't go after the complicated cases. They don't go after the corporations. They don't go after the rich people. They don't go after the people who can tie them up in court with Mm -hmm. high-priced attorneys for years and years. They go after the easy cases where people really can't fight back. Who are they? They're the poorer people. They're the 9 million women of color who who benefited in 2019 from the earned income tax credit. I have a statistic here. 21% of black women received the earned income tax credit. What you're saying is these are the folks that the IRS is going after because they're sort of the lowest hanging fruit.
1: And it's just very cheap. I mean, you could send you they essentially it's basically the cost of a postage stamp for the IRS um, to send send an audit letter. But I think the problem in the and the national taxpayer advocate has written about this extensively is that is that, you know people, on the receiving end of, of these audits, EITC audits, don't have the resources to respond to the IRS. I mean, in many cases, there's just language barriers. They don't even understand, you know, they can't even read the letter. And in other cases, you know, it's they're asking for complicated verification and within a, a very quick uh, period of time and people don't have, lower, you know, lawyers and accountants, there are clinics, I mean, you know, there are clinics and, and assistance services that, that do help with this sort of thing. And so I would encourage, you know, anybody in this situation should sort of seek out the free help that's available, but, but yeah, but, so that's what sort of one of the reasons that it's, you know, sort of efficient for the IRA or, you know, sort of cost efficient from a point of view that, you know, from a very myopic point of view, for the IRS to do EITC audits is that it, it it is so cheap, and then then a lot of the claims, a lot of valid claims are denied. So the you know, so more the you know, so the there's a uh, collection for the IRS, even
0: if it's not valid. It's it's just sort of. I, I'm so glad you kind of brought those numbers in here. I know that people who aren't familiar with the EITC, it's kind of an acronym soup, you know, that's, that's not going to kind of smack them across the face the way it just did for me. But I I think the upshot is crystal clear, which is the trend and, and the problem here that we should all care about is it's counterintuitive, but sort of starving the IRS of resources. It seems like, Hey, that's kind of a pro taxpayer thing. That's going to help out you know, all of us who really, you know, we don't we don't love paying our taxes. Who, who does? Who loves going through that? But the effect, the real effect on 99% of us, if you're listening to this, I'm virtually certain that, that this applies to you. The effect of all of this is it's harder for you to pay your taxes. You're probably paying more in taxes. You're paying more because the inability of the IRS to go after wealthy people means that the burden falls on you. And when the IRS does go after people, they're going after the people least able to afford it, least able to navigate through the system and least able to fight back. It's, it's sort of rank insanity. So I, that to me kind of encapsulates the whole issue. In the Build Back Better bill, President Biden proposed a new approach to beefing up the enforcement ability of the IRS. As I mentioned at the top of the show, It's not entirely clear, as we record this today, that that proposal is going to make it into the final form of the bill. But I still think it's important because it opens up the discussion of what do we do about ensuring better enforcement from the IRS, a more fair system for everybody? So Seth, first of all, could you just describe what was that proposal in the Build Back Better bill that kind of stirred up a lot of controversy?
1: So, yeah. So I think there's two there was two aspects. President Biden proposed a tax um, compliance initiative that had two main components. And so number one was simply funding for the IRS to add personnel and to modernize its technology, which we we hadn't talked about that, but the IRS's computer systems, they're running on a software that dates to like the 1950s. And, you know, it can't. Did uh, you say 1950s? Yes. It's called COBOL, apparently. And apparently there's no, you know, the people who know it and so who know how to code in it are retiring. So there's only, you know, we're sort of running out of people who can even do it. So they need to modernize both for enforcement and also for customer service, modernize the technology. So anyway, so, so the first component of President Biden's proposal is funding for the IRS. And it's, Uh, about $80 billion over the next 10 years, which kind of takes the IRS back to sort of where it was as a level, you know, compared to um, total revenue collections from about 25 years ago. But it's a significant increase. I mean, it's a 35 or 40% increase in the IRS budget that reverses the cuts that have been made over the last, in particular, over the last, last 10 years. So that's component number one. Component number two is, like you said, a more controversial proposal, I'm sorry, and the funding is in the, like it's in the Build Back Better bill, the $80 billion for the IRS. So that piece looks like it's going to happen. Yes, yes, yes,
0: yes. And that includes getting rid of COBOL, the 1950s coding system. Yes, yes, and,
1: and upgrading. I mean, something the IRS has been trying to do for for so many years, upgrading its computers to the 21st century,
0: I, I would take the 20th century, honestly. Yeah, seriously, so late 20th century. Windows yeah. 95 would be fine.
1: So, okay, so this, so the second component is relates to information reporting, and so what the Biden administration originally proposed was that was for banks and financial institutions to expand the information that they provide to the IRS on what's called Form 1099-INT. So, right now the banks. If you have more than $10 of interest paid in your account, banks file a Form 1099-INT and it goes to you to help you you file your tax return and it goes to the IRS so that they know about the income. So what the Biden administration proposed was that bank accounts above a certain threshold, exempting smaller accounts, the banks would have to report the total inflows for the year and the total outflows for the year. Not any information about what those inflows are are, but just the total amounts. And the reason this is important is that what it does is, is allow the IRS to spot suspicious patterns uh, more easily and more efficiently. I mean, just to give I mean just to give a simple example, um, but these types of examples happen all the time. You know, if the, if somebody has Hundreds of thousands of dollars flowing through a bank account and they don't file any you know an income tax return, that might be something that the IRS wants to ask questions about. Or if a business bank account, let's say the business claims all sorts of deductions, wiping out their taxable income, but there's no out, no, you know, or negligible outflows from the account, the IRS might want might want to ask some questions. So what it does is, and so I should have noted that the funding for the IRS in terms of expanding its audit capacity, is is targeted at taxpayers earning over $400,000 and, and corporations and businesses. So what the information reporting does, the bank information reporting, is allow the IRS to choose who gets audited in a smarter way. So just they're more likely to, when they choose audits, to find people that are actually cheating as opposed to going through what's called a no change audit where they audit somebody and they find out the person has paid all the taxes they owe and it's a waste of time so i think what's what's sort of gotten lost here is is the point that you know the audit rate for people under four hundred thousand overall is not going to go up if the irs can target its audits more efficiently that means that honest taxpayers are going to be less likely to be audited. And so they get the benefit of the IRS collecting revenue from people that are actually cheating. And they also get the benefit of being less likely
0: to have to go through an audit. So there are three basic problems that I think you outlined both earlier in the show and and, and just now. One is that the fact that the IRS has been has faced budget cuts, has been kind of starved of resources, has meant that they've had to go after the the easiest, cheapest audit cases, which means they're disproportionately targeting the wrong people, not the people we want to go after. That's that's problem number one. Problem number two is their whole system is a mess because they're running on like Fred Flintstone era technology, where you like pull on the end of the uh, woodpecker and he squawks at the end of the day and then problem number 3 is that they really lack the tools the legal tools to be able to just tr- to, to focus their efforts in an intelligent way. Let's let's deal with the first two first cuz i think they're you've already kind of explained and i think that they're they're sort of obvious on the face of it and it looks like they're going to happen. One is the Build Back Better Bill is plussing up the funding to deal with some of these, you know, starving the IRS on, on the vine problems. And number two, they're going to deal with the computer system. So have those two elements been controversial or are they pretty well accepted as a matter of debate in Congress?
1: I think that the Democrats have accepted it. I mean, I, and, and there was also a bipartisan opportunity. I mean, over the summer when the when they were negotiating the bipartisan infrastructure bill, that that group of Republicans actually agreed to a forty billion dollar increase in funding for the IRS, and then at the last minute they backed away from that, and so they used different different financing for, for the infrastructure bill, and so now the Democrats basically have to do it on their own in the in the Build Back Better bill, but it, but it, you know it did show that there is. Some bipartisan support for expanding the IRS. There was every, every, even the Trump administration. I mean, honestly, like the one thing they did right was to, they had a, they were quite a very robust increase in funding for the IRS. Really? Yeah. And, and the, actually, the funding funding cuts stopped at least, but we haven't gotten, we haven't sort of climbed back from the deep hole that you know, that the IRS have gotten into over many, many years, really starting in 2010 when the Republicans took over the House of Representatives. So yeah, in any event, I think the, so the $80 billion for the IRS... Again, to target high-income taxpayers and corporations with audits and to improve the technology and customer service. So that's our, that's in the bill and it's already passed the House. And I think it's in pretty good shape. I mean, obviously, like there's some doubt, you know, the bill is not at the finish line. The bill as a whole is not at the finish line yet, but I think that's pretty likely to stay in the bill.
0: Got it. So I, I think that's a great way to put it. It shows that there's at least some agreement, you know, like when the cameras are off and you know, they they don't have to be posturing for media and and politics purposes, both Republicans and Democrats, even President Trump kind of gets the idea of this approach of of not giving the IRS resources and, and making them run on Stone Age technology is dumb. Let's fix that problem. Let's talk about the other part of this here, the the third leg in the the three-legged stool, which is these new tools to try and understand what's happening with bigger bank accounts and using that as sort of a monitoring mechanism. Now, that has been super controversial, but I still think it's worth focusing on because it gives us a window into, look, at some level, the IRS is going to need some tools to be able to better understand what's happening with people's taxes. Because you actually wrote about this very eloquently. And I, I, I want to let you explain it, but you, you explained it. And I think you alluded to this earlier in the show that for lower income Americans, especially you know salaried Americans, there's third party information available to the IRS that shows what's going on with that person's financial situation. And in many cases, you're just automatically paying your taxes, but that's not the case with wealthier Americans. So is that what you're referring to when you write that the status quo is allowing high income business owners to evade billions in taxes while workers are paying taxes with every paycheck. Exactly.
1: So you know and we've said there's there's really sort of a two-tiered tax compliance system. So for regular workers, taxes come directly, you know, employers are required to withhold both income and and payroll taxes from every paycheck. So you sort of pay taxes in real time, you don't have any choice. <laughs> and then at the end of the year, your employer report all of your wages to the penny. So the IRS knows about it. So and the same is true for, you know, Social Security income, and some other other forms of income, then there is that then there are more opaque forms of income. And so these are, you know, some capital gains, but mostly business, business income income from business entities like partnerships um, and S corporations and also pr- proprietorships and LLCs. And so this, you know, types of income flows disproportionately to high income people because they tend to be, you know, business owners. It's particularly hard when there's, for the uh, IRS to see flows of incomes when there is layers of partnerships and, and because there's no third, true, true third party information reporting to Report to the IRS that, you know, that, that this income is flowing to a particular taxpayer. So there's just many more avenues to uh, evade taxes.
0: And so giving the IRS the ability to just see the total amount that's going in and out of bank accounts is a way to monitor, is there something fishy going on? That's been really triggering for certain people in our political landscape. I'm going to do something I don't usually do and quote Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who you quoted in your article. He said, I'm not going to do the accent, President Biden's new plan yeah. creates a massive new drag net that would sweep up all kinds of ordinary transactions that normal law-abiding Americans make routinely. The IRS already knows how much you earn, sort of. Now they want to know exactly how you spend it. Is your monthly rent or mortgage payment more than six hundred dollars? If Washington Democrats get their way, the government would get to know about that. Here's the really juicy one: Have your eye on a new rifle and equipment ahead of next hunting season. The IRS would hear. Is that true, Seth?
1: No, flatly untrue. And there's been uh, fact checker after fact checker has has knocked this down. And and McConnell or other Republicans are still talking about this, even though it, it's not even in the bill anymore, or it never was in the bill. It was in the Biden proposal, but they completely mischaracterized the proposal. And I think the main the main false claim is that the IRS would be seeing specific transactions. That's just flatly untrue. The only thing that was proposed was that financial institutions would report the total, so the act, you know, the total aggregate yearly inflows and the total aggregate yearly outflows into an account with no information at all about specific individualized transactions where the money is coming for or going.
0: The IRS, more tools. Again, we're talking about a very specific proposal that may or may not come to pass, but someday we're going to have to give because of your first point that the IRS really doesn't have any way to kind of Get wind because there's no third party reporting. They they don't have a way to know if there's something fishy going on. We're going to have to eventually think about how do we give them some tools that protect people's privacy? You know, that don't, if you want to buy a new rifle and equipment, that is not the IRS's business. If you're, you know, not someone who's supposed to be owning a rifle, that is kind of, you know, ATF's business, but that's a side issue. But let me get to another quote here because there's another US senator, I can't believe I'm saying this sentence, Tommy Tuberville. Who said that the proposal would dramatically increase IRS audits of working Americans? Here's another charge here: the overwhelming majority of people the IRS would look into would not have done a single thing wrong, but when the IRS starts snooping, it will cost you big money. This means hiring a high-priced attorney slash accountant who will bleed you dry. There's a lot going on in that sense. The, the I love I love the throwing shade at at attorneys there. That's just a bonus out of Senator Tuberville, but. Seth, in your article, you adopt sort of what I like to think of as the my cousin Vinny approach, where Vinny w- wakes up after falling asleep during the trial, has missed what the prosecution just said, stands up and said, Everything that guy just said is BS. That's <laughs> basically the approach you take here. You're like, that entire sentence is is totally wrong in every respect. Would you like to expand on why Senator Tuberville is totally wrong here?
1: Yeah, I mean, just totally totally wrong. I mean, I think the the, the main thing is the, and this is in the, you know, it's in the bill, the funding, for, the additional funding resources for the IRS are specifically directed towards auditing high income people. So people with incomes over $400,000 and, and corporations and, and business entities. So, so ordinary people, workers and honest taxpayers uh, with income, you know, middle-class honest taxpayers are going to be less likely to be audited. Let, they're going to be less likely to be audit it because the IRS is going to be able to afford to shift its auto, its audit priorities to go after where the money is really, which is high income business owners and, and large corporations and other, other wealthy Americans. And then if the information reporting proposal goes through to complement that the IRS will be able to target its audits in an even more efficient way. I mean, so we should know, you know, there's, there's a Audit lottery now, you know, and so some honest people get audited now in the current system. The only difference is that if we target audits more efficiently, more on fewer honest taxpayers will be audited, and and you know, and so I think the you know, a lot of the opponents have framed this as an intrusion on privacy, but it's really you know, like I said, it's like two basic most top level pieces of information that really doesn't tell the IRS much except for whether there's lots of income flow, lots of money flowing through a bank account, whereas audits are obviously a a lot more, potentially a lot more
0: intrusive. And you make the point, just to kind of spike the football toward the end of your article, that really this is about information on account flows, and that that's the tool for the IRS to spot hidden income streams. Once again, you know, maybe this isn't the specific way we're going to go about this, but your 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 ultimate point is that the IRS needs a way to try to catch when there's skullduggery going on and they don't have it. And so what they really need to know is like, are, are people, are people messing around here? And this is just one way to do it.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, and I think the critics have made it a legitimate Point you know just inflows into a bank account don't necessarily aren't necessarily taxable income and and that's definitely for sure you know but the IRS has ways you know of of detecting uh, suspicious patterns and it's just the greater likelihood of selecting of selecting audits and the and the other thing is uh, of selecting audits of audits that are actually going to generate uh, tax changes but I think the other thing is like. Just purely the deterrence effect of people knowing that they can't just funnel uh, millions of dollars through a bank account without the IRS seeing it is, is the main thing that would have an effect you know is the, is the main driver here um, is just purely the
0: deterrence effect. Is there anything that didn't make it into this proposal or that might still be on the table that you really wish, politics aside, let's take all the all the politics. there's going to be mischaracterization no matter what anyone proposes. But if you could kind of be czar and move the system in the direction of more fairness, targeting the people who really might be engaging in evasion and generally making the system more efficient and better for everyone, what would you do? Is is there is there a change that you'd like to see made? We'd
1: definitely like to see the, I mean, the bank account reporting I think is crucial. I think another proposal that I think is, is important in the tax, you know, related to tax in- compliance, is that right now tax preparers are essentially like a totally unregulated industry. So there's a lot of fly by night tax preparers that are either incompetent um, or unscrupulous. And so they file, they file phone, you know, botched or fraudulent tax returns on people's behalf. And that gets their customers in trouble with the IRS. So the IRS tried to regulate the industry several years ago, but then there was a lawsuit and courts found that the statute, you know, the sort of existing statutes didn't give the IRS authority to regulate the tax preparation industry, but Congress can clarify that, you know, Congress can change that. There is bipartisan legislation with Senator Rob Portman and uh, Senator Ben Cardin to uh, give the IRS authority to regulate tax preparers. And so I think that's one thing that would be, you know, that would help people know that they're dealing with, you know, honest and competent tax preparers who aren't going to get them in trouble.
0: Just to sum up, this show is called Great Ideas. And it sounds like you're presenting an idea for how we could do our tax system better, fairer, and in a way that would that would maybe benefit all of us. Could you sort of sum up, if we take the approach that you're laying out and that you're defending here what would the benefits for most people be?
1: So I think the you know the the most fundamental but intangible benefit is just knowing that you're not being taken for a chump and you know, paying your taxes while people with more more means are getting away and skirting their taxes and whether that's people or large large corporations. So I mean I think that's number one and the most basic. I mean number two is like we mentioned you know six hundred. Billion dollars of revenue a year, even if we close that by um, a fraction, that is that's real money, and it, it pays for real investments, and and or can reduce deficits. And I think finally, like you know, we the IRS has been beaten up as an agency for so many reasons, and its funding has been cut because it's sort of become a pariah agency, and that's just created a kind of vicious circle where the you know the more it's it's funny it gets cut, the, the, the worse it is at serving, cost, uh, serving taxpayers. So the ability to just call somebody and get the IRS on the, on the phone and a less likelihood to be audited. So I think people will have much better interactions with the IRS if we fund it adequately. Seth Hanlon, thanks so much. Thank you.